Uh, here's the question. Has your life with God, has your life with God following after Jesus, has your life with God been better than you expected, worse than you expected, about what you expected? And you have to think about it. I'll give you eight seconds to think deeply and then, and then I want your honest answer. Has it been better than you expected, worse than you expected, about what you expected? Think it through. Think it through. All right, what are your answers? Uh, better than you expected. Better than you expected. Worse than you expected. Like a lot of our lead ministers are like, oh. I noticed. About what you expected. You got it about right, about right when you entered into this kingdom. All right, all right. And all of the above, uh, I don't know if that's a fair answer. And about half of you did not answer at all. Uh, so you're used to Blue Water sermons. You're going to play it safe until the end. Well done. Um, implicit in that question is this truth, right? That, that life can be surprising and, and this assumption that life is going to be a bit challenging. There's going to be some disappointments. There's going to be struggle. And that should be uh, news to no one. In fact, we are doing this sermon series on how to finish well in life. The goal being that we enter into this life of following God, following Jesus, and, uh, and it's a long race, and we want to cross the finish line at the end of our life, whenever that day comes, uh, in, in, in full glory, with full steam, right? We don't want to drop out of the race before the race is done. We don't want to lose everything uh, that we've worked for in the kingdom of God uh, before we even get uh, to, to judgment day. Uh, so how do we finish well? If life were totally easy, wonderful, and just filled with birthday surprises, uh, then we wouldn't have to give a sermon series on finishing well, right? Because we just skate to the end. Uh, it would just be fun. But we know that it can be a little bit of a work. What we want to do is we want to make it into eternity. And when we get there, we want to have a lot of what Jesus called heavenly treasures. When we get there, we want to have some heavenly bank in our account. And that means we need to navigate well through life. We always need to know what, what we're up to. And part of that is scriptural practice. Part of it is listening to the Holy Spirit in real time. We talked about that. We want to minister unceasingly because life equals ministry. Life equals purpose. And if you are not ministering unceasingly, then you're kind of squandering your life. You're squandering uh, heavenly treasure that you would have. And we want none of that. Um, we want to grow in competency as we get older, right? Older Christians should be more skilled at ministry and influence and being light and salt than younger Christians. Are you growing in competency or are you petering out? as some aging people do. That's something to keep in mind. We always want to be gathering one person into the kingdom of God, at least one. Somebody with whom you have personal relationship at all times, you want to be gathering them into faith in Jesus. The unfashionable word for that is evangelism or proselytizing. That's my favorite one. Uh, the, uh, the more politically correct word is gathering or sharing, whatever. But you want to be bringing people into faith. And Jesus said that was super important. And it's my best tip for keeping your ministry life fresh. Uh, you need to be a nonconformist if you're going to make it the whole way. You need to be a nonconformist. If you uh, are a conformist, if you conform to the world around you, then gradually that will grow, take root, and choke you out. 
Jesus teaches a lot about that. We need to be savages. We need to be a little bit wild. We need to be warriors in this life. Jesus talks about that a lot uh, because it is uh, an interesting sort of war. It's the sort of war, uh, spiritual war, that lulls you into complacency. So you need to up your own savagery, so to speak. Uh, You need to make yourself behave. You need to learn how to make yourself behave. Uh, which means you need to be disciplined. In part, you're going to be self-disciplined, but in those areas where you lack self-discipline, you're going to have to be externally disciplined, and you're going to want to set up for yourself external helps in the form of, say, a community uh, of faith-filled people around you or certain routines and institutions, stuff like that. Those things have their place, and you want to make the most of them. Last week, we talked about enduring relationships because the kingdom of God is a very relational place. It's just filled with people. Look to your left and right and think, yeah, people. Dang. Um, and uh, you want to endure the relationships that you have, and you want to create enduring relationships. There's a little double meaning there, and we talked about uh, the grace and the patience that goes into that, and we want to love our friends like we love our enemies, expecting nothing from them, (laughs) Uh, taking all blessing and giving all blessing. Freely you've received, so freely give. Uh, And this week, we're going to talk about managing our expectations of life with God, because that's kind of a big deal, mostly because people don't crash and burn in life uh, due to disbelief, by which I mean Christians don't typically crash and burn because they wake up one morning and think, you know, upon reevaluating the data, I've determined there is no God. That very, very, very rarely happens. What happens is that Christians get disappointed in their life with God. It doesn't turn out as they expect, or certain situations don't turn out as expected. And so Christians end up saying things like, well, my belief isn't doing me much good. That's what kills you. My belief isn't doing much good, or some flavor of that. They say, well, you know, my obedience to God isn't doing much good in my life. My sacrifices for God aren't producing much good in my life. You know, he may be there, but it's not working out for me. And that kills more Christians, I think, than outright disbelief. Do you know what I mean? You understand? You following me? All right, give me a snap. I just need to know you're there. Um... So, uh, just to restate, kingdom life on earth is supposed to be a combination of trials and treasures. And if you're a veteran Jesus follower, you kind of understand that. It's supposed to be, this life on earth is supposed to be a combination of challenges and blessings existing in some sort of balance or relationship. And then, in eternity, we get eternal life, which kind of like overwhelms everything, right? That's like the ultimate balancer. Uh, If we make it to eternity, everything balances in our favor. But in this life, there is going to be a combination of trials and treasures. And you can probably think of a lot of verses that say as much. Uh, If you have been hanging on the Bible any length of time, I picked out uh, a few of my favorites uh, among the well-known ones from John 16, uh, 33. This is Jesus talking to his disciples what would be the last week of Jesus' life. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have 
peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I actually like the old-fashioned interpretation. In this world, you will have trials and tribulations. Fear not. I have overcome uh, the world. That's Jesus saying, yeah, you know, be at peace. But frankly, this life is going to kick your butt frequently. I've overcome the world. In the end, there's eternity and it's going to be great. And that kind of sums up Jesus characterizing uh, what um, we can expect from God in this life with a little bit of expectation about what we can expect from God in the next um, an excerpt from uh, Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 10, and this one is kind of a personal favorite of mine, uh, Mark uh, 10, 28 through 31. What's happening here is that um, Jesus is talking about uh, rich people versus poor people, and the culture of the day was that, well, rich people are obviously more beloved of God because he made them rich, and poor people less so. And of course, Jesus just turned that all topsy-turvy. And this is the chapter where Jesus says famously, it's easier uh, for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And everybody kind of freaks out and their their mind is bending uh, on that one. And the disciples are like, well, who can get into heaven? And Jesus is saying, well, it takes a lot of sacrifice. And then finally in verse 28, Peter who's just consternated by the whole conversation. He says, Peter said to him, we have left everything to follow you. We've made ourselves poor and wretched for your sake. Have you you not noticed that we're working really hard here? It's kind of the attitude. And Jesus responds, I tell you the truth. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or fields, which is to say jobs, professions, for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's fields, and with them, persecutions. Little twist there. And in the age to come, eternal life. There it is, like the ultimate balancer. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Which is a very famous Jesus saying. And we'll talk more about that verse in a second. But um, a very direct promise about what life in this age will be like for people who follow hard after Jesus. It's like, oh, well, you may have left your home, you may have left your family, you may have left your children. What he's saying here is like, look, you may have uh, not pursued that great profession in order to just minister instead. You may have decided not to get married and have children uh, as opposed to just sort of marrying, you know, the first cute guy or gal that came along and screwing that up. You know, you, you, you may have... You know, you, you may have made some hard choices that makes you feel a little meager about your life. But I'm telling you, even in this life, you're going to get a hundred times back what you sacrificed, which is just very provocative, very provocative, you know, for me. Um, I, uh, but, you know, I, I won't, you know, give this teaching, but I've kind of found it to be true. In my life, um, my family was pretty fractured. I've gotten a a little family here, a little family there. Um, Most everybody in my family has passed away now, um, at least in my original family. 
and I was kind of the only one in my generation, you know, so it's just me. Uh, but my Christian family is huge, you know, and I can go anywhere in the world and have a door to knock on and be assured somebody will take me in. Like, like I can't even tell you how many countries in the world I could show up penniless and have somebody kind of adopt me with some surety. And so that's rare. I always think of that uh, when Jesus is talking about this. Do you think it's true? Are you 100 times wealthier having followed the laws of Jesus than otherwise? Amen. Would you rather be a Christian or a millionaire? Some of you are millionaires, liars. <laughs> anyway, you get the idea. There's sort of this expectation that life will be plentiful if unusual if you're a Christian. You know, and Jesus gives lots and lots of teachings about not worrying about money, not worrying about who will take you in and stuff like that. And I found Christian living to be incredibly inconvenient, but also true in this way, that God will always provide for me. Just I don't get a choice how is the thing. You know, lack of control is the cost. So there's that. There's that teaching. And then, and then uh, you know, another uh, typical verse uh, this one from the book of Hebrews, which some people say Paul wrote. Um, probably not. It's probably somebody else. Some people say Paul's protege Priscilla wrote it, uh, which would be kind of cool. But it's, uh, it's a book about the gospel written to Jews. And, and, uh, and a lot of uh, the book of Hebrews is about characterizing who Jesus is and what it's like to follow Jesus. And, and in chapter 11, Uh, the author kind of sums it up and says, you know, without faith, without trust, without risk, without trying, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, that's the belief part, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, that's where disappointment lives or dies. You have to have belief plus positive expectation if you're going to do this life. And the thing about having positive expectations is that, well, they might get disappointed, you know. Uh, And so there's some vulnerability there. But you have to believe in God, and you have to believe that following God is going to be good for you and good for anyone to whom you preach. Uh, So uh, let's take a little survey. Maybe we'll do a little ministry time. Who here needs more trials in life? Raise your hand. I'll just pray for you right now. You need more trials. You haven't got enough on that side of the equation yet. Go ahead, raise your hand. I'll just, we have a team standing by. (laughs) Trials. Trials? Interesting. Nobody wants a trial anointing. Uh, How many of you uh, need more treasures in this life? Anyone want to pray for that? Okay, yeah, all right. We got some willing. Like, God bless you, lazy (laughs) so-and-sos. Um, do you think your struggles outweigh your blessings or do you think your blessings outweigh your struggles? Because we're all kind of doing that calculation, you know, and then depending on where it leads, we add more faith if necessary. Uh, That's kind of how we get through this life, right? You follow me? That's kind of how it works. And, And you can... You can get stuck in a sense of injustice. Do you think your struggle outweighs your blessing? Frankly, very frequently, I do. I say, man, this isn't going anywhere. This just feels like a fruitless uh, burden to me. 
I have many days like that. And then I'm like, well, this is unjust. This is unfair. Where are you, God? And then over time, that can make a big difference in my life, in your life, if we experience that attitude. And, and it becomes a factor in whether or not we finish well. That's what I'm talking about. Because it's hard not to have certain expectations about how life should go. It's really hard. You know? And we are all searching for satisfaction now. If we don't get it, we try to manage it as best we can. But we're all searching for satisfaction now. And you know what the, what the math for satisfaction is? We have a little slide. Satisfaction is, we have a slide, it's coming, is expectations over reality. Right? So if your expectations are really high, then you need your reality to be correspondingly high. Right? in order to have a, a good, healthy uh, ratio. Um, and if you expect a lot, uh, then you're going to want to see a lot in this life. If you risk a lot, you're going to want to see a lot of success. That's just natural. Uh, and that's what happens in life. And sometimes, of course, it doesn't work out the way that you want. Now, if you're, say, a Buddhist... Um, you can just suspend your expectations, right? And, and a lot of, some of you are, may well be practicing Buddhists or former Buddhists, and, and the tradition is that, well, you kind of detach, you detach from expectation. It is a doctrine of radical acceptance of whatever. And it's kind of a, a, a methodology for handling suffering. In fact, that was the first line of Buddha's teaching, life is suffering. Uh, and so let me teach you how to deal with it. Let me teach you how to deal with disappointment. That was kind of his jumping off point. Makes a lot of sense in a way. You know, you can kind of suspend your expectations. So that's one way of, of handling the ratio is just having very low expectations. And then if reality is low, you're fine. Here's the problem. Christians can't do that. We are not allowed to do that. And it's very frustrating because we swim in positive expectation. Why? Well, because our call is to change the world through expectant faith. Amen. Right? We preach this gospel of, you know, one, eternal life. So that's kind of a big expectation. Um, and uh, healing and deliverance and restoration and justice. I mean, we are, we are compelled by the commands of Christ to pursue all of those things, you know, uh, and, and to preach a God who provides in all circumstances and stuff like that. And so we have to expect very good things at all times. And then when the tribulation part comes, it'd be like, wait a minute, the system is breaking down, right? Even though we know it's going to be a combo. So we are compelled to have these grand expectations in life. And I often think to myself, man, it would be a lot easier to be a Buddhist. I'd be so Zen, man. I would be like awesome at that because I'm hyper-disciplined. I have a very compartmentalized brain. I'd be good at it. But I went and became a Christian. And uh, it's just been a struggle ever since. It creates such a potential storm, right? Because the more faith you have in life, the more disappointment potential you have in life. And the more people you have, and the more challenging situations you engage, and the more you know, variable your disappointment level becomes. And you find yourself saying, 
man, I worked hard. This should have worked out. And then this factor as well, which just really gripes me. Some lives are harder than lives. Has anybody ever said to you, well, everybody has difficulty? Not equally. <laughs> that is just not true. If it were true, we could help each other. But some people get far more in life from doing far less than other people. I'm not bitter. No, I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm not bitter. I don't think about this at all, ever, because I'm just Zen. Um, but some lives are way harder than other lives, you know, way harder. And it's just not fair. Does God love some people more than other people? Yeah. It sure seems like it, <laughs> right? Because everybody's an individual and everybody has a different map in their life, God-given map. And it's just so hard, right? Because we want to compare sometimes just for comfort. Oh, if I do what you did, it's going to turn out as well for me as it did for you, correct? No! And that kind of sucks. Um, and we say, I worked hard, I tried hard, I did rightly, I certainly did as much as he did, and I didn't get it. Why didn't I get it? And that can be totally devastating. Stormy stuff is what I'm saying. Stormy stuff, we got lots of verses telling us it's going to be stormy stuff. And lo and behold, it is story, uh, stormy stuff. So in the midst of it, what's the truth that gets us through? What's the anchor point? How do we navigate that storm really, really well is the question. You know, I, I've sort of implicated myself already, but let me uh, confess to you. Up front, this will come as a surprise to no one uh, who knows me well. But in life, I feel like I've just been crushed by disappointments. Just want to be perfectly honest about that. Just totally crushed. And in fact, you know, I could make the argument that the primary shaper of my life has been disappointments, you know, as opposed to successes, uh, which have been fewer for me. Although it always depends how you count those things, right? Uh, but uh, I feel like I've, my life has been shaped by pretty severe traumatic relational disappointments, professional disappointments, vocational disappointments, ministerial disappointments, financial disappointments, name an area of life. And I will share with you a story of traumatic disappointment that will curl your toes. That's a boast I can make. Yay? Um, but, and, and not every life is like that, uh, I, I know. Um, I have a, a broad swath of areas in my life that have been shaped by, by fairly savage disappointment. And, and I would say the primary characterizer of my life, which is to say the thing that you need to understand about me in order to understand me at all, right, is, well, one, I'm a Jesus follower, but two, it's how I respond to great disappointment. I think like, that's kind of like the most quintessential Jordan thing there is in Jordan. Um, that would be how I would probably characterize uh, my life. Um, I you share, share stories from my, my young life uh, a fair bit. Um, I was a pretty messed up little kid, and the first time I can remember uh, seriously contemplating suicide, I was five years old. I tell that story sometimes where I held the blade to my wrist and decided not to, uh, obviously. Um, but a few years after that, um, my uh, uh, 
out of a dramatic situation, we had sort of a chaotic life. But my dad remarried, found a woman, and, and got married a second time. My mother had walked out when I was right after I was born, actually. Um, and you know, the story goes, the story I'm told is that you know we, we were in a financially vulnerable place, and she brought some kids into the marriage. Dad brought me into the marriage, and uh, they didn't feel like they had enough for all the kids, and so one of us had to go. I was the one who had to go. And so that's when I went to live alone with my grandmother, with Nana, uh, who was a part of this church for a long time until she died, lived with us the last 10 years uh, of her life. I don't know if in your life you've ever been the one who had to go in some way. Uh, but it just devastated me. And what happened for me one afternoon, as I was sort of wrestling with this, is I literally stopped breathing. I just stopped breathing. They rushed me to the emergency room, and it was like a really, really serious asthma attack. And so they pumped me through all sorts of chemicals and stuff, and I survived it. And then had a very enlightened doctor, all this, this was in the 1970s. He said, well, this is just emotional. What's he been going through recently? Which is pretty good for, uh, for just this random ER doctor. Uh, and, you know, I eventually fought my way out of, of asthma. Um, so the reason I'm telling those pathetic stories is because those events are shaping, yes? Yeah. Those, those sorts of things shape a life. And some of you have events like that in your lives, right? Uh, because life is hard. Some lives are harder than other lives, right? But some of you can, can share uh, the weight of experiences like that. That sounds really, really bad, uh, the stories that I've just told you. Um, I survived them, walked with Jesus through them, always had somebody nearby to love me. So ultimately, those stories end up being good. But as bad as those stories sound, I would say the last four years of life, when uh, the world has been in a difficult place, far and away more difficult for me than my early years. So I'm just telling that to kind of bracket um, how things work for me. And I don't like to say that because what I want to say is life with Jesus is triumphant and wonderful all the time. I'm just not that guy, right? We have those guys in the congregation. Uh, they just, I don't know, they don't speak as well as I do. Uh, so, you know, so I'm the guy who ends up talking to you. I apologize for that. It's just, you know, there are other churches and stuff, but... Uh, I suspect that God intends for my life to be like that at this point. Just, just so you know, I, I, I suspect that my Heavenly Father intends for my life to be populated with uh, a weird array uh, of disappointments. Um, I had this series of dreams when I was in college. Sometimes I share this story because they were very formative to me. Um, I had gotten to college and got into a good college, which was just like miraculous to me because I never thought I would get out of where I was. And, uh, and during my sophomore year, I had this season for like for six weeks straight, for over 40 nights, I had basically the same dream. It, uh, and the, the first time I had the dream was like this. I was ministering in a jungle, and then some men with guns started chasing me, and I ran around for a little while. They caught me, they threw me in this hut, they held a gun to my forehead and said, stop preaching or we'll kill you. And what I knew in the dream is that my preaching had been futile. Nobody had come to the Lord, hadn't started any churches, anything like that. So it was fruitless. And so I had to decide whether or not I was ready to die for something that felt futile. 
And it seemed like the dream went on for hours. It was just that moment, just me staring at the gun, thinking, that did no good. Is it worth my life anyway? And then I said, go ahead and shoot. And he pulled the trigger. And then I woke up. And then every night for 40 days, I was killed in a different way <laughs> in that dream. I was sawed into, blown up with dynamite, pushed off cliffs, pushed out of an airplane. I was drowned. I was burned. Like every way you could possibly imagine until, I don't know, God got tired. And, <laughs> and always the same. Are you willing to die when it feels futile? And I think that was part of my calling. Um, uh, some years later, I went to see this very this world famous prophet, and he invited me to have lunch with him. And I sat down in front of him, and and he gave me a personal prophecy. It was very gracious of him, he even paid for lunch. Um, and and he said to me, he started talking to me, and the spirit just fell in the room, like everybody there could feel it in this restaurant. And he said, Jordan, uh, in life, some people uh, in life, God sees the world like a chessboard. And some people are powerful pieces like queens and rooks and bishops. And they are the champions of the, tech, of, the, of the chessboard. And they're the ones that checkmate the enemy. Other people are just like pawns on the checkboard. And God moves them strategically. You know, but they're sacrificial pawns. You, Jordan, are a pawn. <laughs> that was the prophecy. Excuse me, I have to go home and write a worship song. <laughs> what rhymes with pawn? <laughs> when we started Blue Water, we were thinking of starting Blue Water. Um, I had this dream in which I was sailing a sailboat, and it was a beat-up jalopy of a sailboat, and I was sailing it down an avenue. No water, I was sailing it down a city street. And I tacked across this bridge and went over a riverbed that had no water. And then I parked the boat in a desert, again, completely dry, no water. So everything about the dream was inappropriate. And you have to be a very good sailor to sail without water. I'm just telling you. <laughs> and the whole time in the dream, I was pumping my fist as I piloted the boat, thinking, this is awesome, this is awesome, which was incongruent with the situation, because, like I said, I had some water. I parked the boat, I jumped out, and I started digging through the hard scrabble dirt with my fingernails until I found three small green shoots. And I was like, yes! And then I woke up. And uh, that dream was part of the reason we call ourselves Blue Water Mission. Um, that's a sailing term. But I think God was saying to me, like, your job is to do much with little, right? Like to sail a boat without water and to find life where it should not be. And it will just be a little bit of life. It won't be amazing because it is abundant. It will be amazing because it's there at all. All right. So I think that's kind of the kind of person that God has called me to be. I am a unique sort of person. I do not mean in any way, shape, or form to generalize that weird calling to you guys, uh, because there doesn't need to be many of us. Uh, thank God. And it's more of a, you know, there's a certain prophetic calling to it. And if you read the Bible, there are all these characters called prophets, and they tended to have screwy lives. And I just think I'm intended to have a screwy life. You're probably intended to have a better life. I hate you. <laughs> just turn to the person next to you and say, like, ooh. Yeah, just make me feel a little better. Throw a guy a bone, a vegan bone. All right. You know, some people, you know, I, I characterize that and, you know, I've characterized my life to be uh, 
a, a little bit weird and disappointing, but some of you have harder lives. Uh, certainly at this moment have a harder life than I have. You know, you're going through, you know, some people here are, I know are struggling against terminal illnesses. Some people are having terrible uh, marital problems and those can be so taxing and, and devastating. So like, you know, don't get me wrong. My twist is that I just have a breadth of disappointing experiences. And, and, and they have an element of the absurd to them. Like there's no reason that shouldn't have worked out, but it didn't. That, all right, so in that breadth of disappointment, the upshot, the blessing, the silver lining for me is, is, uh, is that I've kind of become an expert on what it takes to keep going. So that's one. And then the other piece is that um, I can do stuff that other people can't. Right? I can find life where it should not be. So whatever your disappointment is, I've probably had that type. And I can speak to it. Right? I know that there's life in it, and I can give that to you. And that's a part of why a lot of you hang around me. <laughs> um, right? Some of you, to be honest, is I just don't flinch, I don't blink. Because I've had so many repetitions of the pattern. Some of you have only had one repetition, but it's a big one. Right? So that's your burden. And it's hard, and you think you're not going to get through, and you think that maybe, you know, belief isn't working out for you. And there are guys like me, gals like me around here that can speak into that and say, oh, no, 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 we've had something like that. You know, and I can tell you, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. Amen. Fear not, Jesus has overcome the world. Uh, what that means for me practically is that no matter what you're going through, no matter the failures, no matter the disappointments, there can simultaneously be fruit. Amen. Simultaneously be fruit. And I will just leave you with this one idea. Draw my prattering uh, this morning. Uh, the one thing that I've learned most from my weird traveling through life that helps me to finish well in the midst of streams of disappointment, all right? Um, and it kind of boils down to this. The first bit we know, faith is trying. At Blue Water, we know that faith means trying. Faith means trying, and real trying is fruitful even when it's unsuccessful. Are you following that? Yep. Faith is trying, and real trying produces fruit, even when it seems to fail. Even when the thing you're attempting fails. Even when the thing you're attempting doesn't pan out. If you've tried in faith, you will produce fruit anyway, through the failure, maybe because of the failure maybe because of the failure. And this is kind of a hallmark of Christianity. Jesus failed. He's very popular, got to be a Messiah. Everybody abandoned him. He was executed on the cross in his 30s. Wash out! However, from that savage disappointment comes everything. Lest a seed fall to the ground and die, it produces no fruit. You know that verse, a lot of you. Right? So it's the general pattern. Out of death comes life. Out of disappointment comes 
faith. It's weird, right? Now, sometimes faith comes from triumph and success, but you don't need me to teach that because it's automatic, right? If God gives you a win, your faith goes up. If God gives you a loss, that's a little harder. But loss can produce great fruit. Uh, I have this canonical example in my own life, which is a small thing, but it's kind of funny and easy to access. Um, when Sony and I, right when we were uh, moving back to the island uh, 20 years ago now, um, at that time, Sonia was uh, seven months pregnant with Jojo, and I had been unemployed for like six months because I was fired from a job uh, under false accusations. Uh, of illegalities that were only corrected 10 years later. I'm just throwing that in for a little disappointment spice for you. So uh, no money. We had to move back to the island. We were pregnant, um, couldn't, uh, couldn't pay our bills, and needed to find out how to pay for moving back down. We had no transport costs. And so uh, one evening, we went to a, a, an album release party for this uh, artist that we had helped, helped him record his album. And we went to a New Jersey diner uh, at like midnight uh, to get some pancakes or something uh, at the end of the celebration and parked our car in the parking lot. And Sonia was getting out of the passenger side with Jojo in her belly. Um, and I hear these wheels peel out. And this 92-year-old Greek man had confused his accelerator uh, for his brake and was screaming across the parking lot right toward Sonia. Uh, at the passenger door, and she had just stepped away without seeing it uh, as uh, the guy slammed into our car. Uh, I kind of saw that happening at the last second, dove into the back uh, of the hatch, I had the hatchback open where our, our dog Rocky was, and I curled my body around my dog because that's what you do. <laughs> you save the dog, people. Pregnant woman, okay, okay, I'm going to... And so I did that, and, and then the, our body, the body of the car got thrashed around, and, and I ended up splitting open my eyebrow. It wasn't serious, but I carried the scar, and Rocky was fine. And we went in, and then we went in and ate. Anyway, <laughs> our car got totaled, and we got insurance money for that car, and that's how we moved to Hawaii. If that hadn't happened, I don't know how we got here. Out of, which, which is just like the story of life for me. It's like, oh man, your car got totaled. Progress. <laughs> Progress. And many of you have had similar experiences. Like, that sucked. That was a terrible disappointment. But if that hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. Right? Um, anyway, that so often characterizes the life of faith. And it is a type of experience that we need to embrace if we are going to finish well. And I think I can speak that more authoritatively than most people. And so I want to speak it uh, boldly uh, uh, this morning. Uh, faith is trying, and real trying is fruitful, even when it's unsuccessful. And that's why Jesus says, the first shall be last, and the last first. I don't think people recognize the merit in that line as often you should. The end of uh, Mark 10, uh, 28 through 31, verse 31, Jesus says, you know, you think are first are actually in last, and those you think are in last 
actually end up being first in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Right? We are seasoned Christians. How is it that we couldn't pick the leaders? Right? How is it that you could look around this assembly and be like, ah, he's doing well in the kingdom of God. She's doing well in the kingdom of God. Him, not so well, but we love him anyway. Um, how is it that Christians misrank people? Here's how I think it happens. I think we tend to rank people spiritually according to their success. And God ranks people according to their trying. It's the person who tries the most who leads. It's not the person who succeeds the most who leads. Do you understand? And it's hard to see who the best triers are because sometimes the people who try the most often have the most failures. But they're still in the lead because they're better triers than the rest of us. Do you understand? And you need to have that mentality if you're going to make it the whole way. It's the trying that counts. And it's your ability to try, even if you get failures and disappointments and injustices and hardships that are completely unfair and out of line and absurd. But all it does is it gives you another opportunity to try in faith, expecting good things to happen even if you fail. You feeling it? I hope you feel it, because then you make it, no matter how absurd life gets. So, Father, um, I pray that we'd feel it today, that in some way you'd bypass all the calculations, all the ratios, and that you would give us uh, stamina in our faith, that you would give us the faith to try, uh, even if we don't succeed to try again uh, even if we fail feed us lord and feed us from that paradoxical core of the gospel out of death life out of disappointment progress in jesus name